Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Med- Medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and a very warm welcome to another episode of the Lizelle Wellbeing Show. And I have got a mouthwatering episode lined up for you today as I have just been joined here in my studios by one of the nation's best loved restaurateurs and cookery writers. He is the author of not one, but seven best-selling cookery books and has been a weekly columnist for the Saturday Guardian for over 13 years. There, he is best known for sharing his infectious love of veg and has been singing the praises of cauliflowers, pomegranates, lemons, and his firm favourite, aubergine. My guest, of course, is Jotam Ottolenghi, and he's here to share more about his new book, Flavour, and he reveals how to transform, totally transform, everyday veggies into magical dishes, whether they be weeknight dinners or seasonal showstoppers. Now, don't forget, if you would like to watch my chat with Jotam, you can head over to the Lizelle Wellbeing YouTube channel, Otherwise, settle in, put the kettle on, and let's get into this week's episode. So, Yotam, welcome. Thank you. Thank Thanks you for so finding my little studio, bit, yeah. t- bit, bit tucked away. Yeah, but uh, very charming, nonetheless. <laughs> you got here. So, let's start at the very beginning. You were born and grew up in Jerusalem, is that right? Yes, I did. I was the son of the 1970s and 80s. Okay. And I spent the first few adult years of my life being a little bit confused. I went to university. Yeah. And I studied philosophy and literature. And when I finished that, I thought maybe that's not quite the place for me. And then that's when I started cooking in the late 1990s. So did you grow up with food then? Did you grow up? Because I've been to Jerusalem and I've enjoyed the most amazing meals. Yeah. Jerusalem has very good food. Yeah. And I I grew up with very good food, both at home, uh, because both my parents were very good cooks. Mm. And also outside the home, if if you traveled in Jerusalem, you know, there's a lot of street food. There's a lot of beautiful restaurants that serve uh meze and you know the the whole kind of middle eastern atmosphere is just it's, it's wonderful it's intoxicating and yeah, yeah completely. I, I grew up in all this and then to make the leap to actually professionally cooking mm. how, how did that happen so you presumably came to the uk i you? came to the uk in 1997 mm. and i went to the cordon bleu cookery school to take a couple of courses is anyone who's tasted my food, you know, it would know that it's anything but French. Yes. <laughs> so I've always been that I need to I need to explain that. But it, I mean, I've had a really good basic training there for a few months and then I just started working in patisseries and restaurants in mm. London. And um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't always 
for, for quite a while, I wasn't entirely sure that this is going to be my last career station cooking or yeah. food. Uh, it was really hard. I was kind of nearly 30 and I was thinking, um, is that the right place for me? Mm. Uh, but I, I fell in love with it and I persevered and, and I and, you know, and the rest is history. <laughs> well, we're very glad you did, because I think you're the kind of the godfather of bringing so many interesting things into more of the mainstream. I mean, for example, I had some burrata for lunch today and I sprinkled pomegranate seeds on it. And mm -hmm. I immediately thought of you because you, know, you are the kind of the guy who has brought us pomegranate seeds or, I mean, certainly things like pomegranate molasses yeah. as, as key ingredients, which mm -hmm. I think none of us were using before you promoted it. Yeah, well, for me, those ingredients that are kind of the, the core Middle Eastern ingredients, you know, tahini and pomegranates, mm. Uh, rose water and preserved yes. lemons and all these yeah. things um, were things that were familiar and uh, and I grew up with. So it wasn't like I'm tr I was, um, re you know, inventing something. I was just kind of cooking with the things that were familiar to me. But I also f realized that they were very it was very effective here because essentially what happened is that um, I think in the last couple of decades, uh, since I started operating here, people have really wanted, first of all, two things, wanted to cook more vegetables and yes. eat more vegetables, which wasn't the case before, mm. uh, quite the opposite. And they wanted to do exciting things with vegetables. So I here I come along and I find a, a real keen audience to the message of actually vegetables yeah. are amazing. It's just what yeah. you do with them. Yeah. So all these Middle Eastern condiments are really, really good fantastic way to kind of uh, um, squeeze out every ounce of every inch of flavor from a, from yes. a vegetable whether it's a cauliflower or a tomato or a courgette or pulses or, or yeah. grains you know these are just things that need a little bit of help it's it's easier sometimes with you know with other foodstuffs like a you know a good beautiful piece of fish you know you can pan fry it and squeeze mm. a lemon and it's almost kind of you're you're done but vegetables you can't do that with a potato you need it just needs a, a little bit more help yeah, yeah. now tell me about zatar because you talk about condiments but that again is something that we very much associate with you and mm. having kind of brought that to us how what is it and how should we be using it zatar is um so there is also a misconception because some people call it a herb blend or a spice blend which is actually not true so zatar is a name used throughout uh, palestine lebanon israel uh, jordan that part of the levant for a particular herb uh, that grows uh, wild uh, it's uh, from the department of the oregano or marjoram. It's called zaatar. It's got a very particular flavor, but if you taste it, you, you could mistake it for, for oregano. Right. And it grows wild and it, grow, it has a particularly intense flavor in, very, in the very dry season when it's really dry. You know how mm. some herbs and... and, and, uh, and uh, plants really thrive when they don't yeah. have the the, yeah. the the moisture because the, all the flavors concentrate. So intense. So when you pick zaatar in the hills of uh, Palestine or Israel and you get those kind of the really really intense marjoramy oregano flavor, that's that's the zaatar, that's the herb, and it's been in the region for millennia. Uh, but the way people know it here and is is in a dry form mm. where it's dried and and ground into powder and it's uh, mixed with sumac uh, which is another uh, another another 
it's a, it's a kind of it's a berry that's dried and pounded. It's quite red and it's very acidic. Mm -hmm. So zaatar, the herb, is mixed with sumac, sesame seed, and salt, and creates right. a green powder, and that's also called zaatar. So the powder ah, itself, okay. which is the thing, the mix, so the blend, is the blend, but is it contains but zaatar. It names the herb. after the main herb, the main ingredient. In Interesting. The, in so zaatar, sumac berry, sesame, sesame and, and salt, salt. Yeah, and you grind it together, salt, all mixed together. Uh, and it's powder. And mm -hmm. so when people, when I go to the supermarket and I see a jar and it's called, it says zaatar, and then you look at the list of ingredients and it says thyme, uh, <laughs> chopped up parsley yeah. and salt and sesame. I said, that is just not zaatar, okay. <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So you really need the, ori the or original yeah. herb in order to make it properly. So the, the ones that you should really get are imported from the Middle East. Yeah. And should we always be grinding our own? I mean, do we need a pestle and mortar? I mean, that's presumably how you work to make it fresh. No, no, no. You buy the powder. So you okay. can go and get the herbs, but you you can get dried zaatar leaves in, in some uh, Middle Eastern shops. Oh, but what, what I would buy and most yeah. people would buy is that mix the mix of zaatar sumac sesame and salt and that gives you the zaatar flavor and that's very easy to use you sprinkle it over over chicken over roasted vegetables you can mm. make uh, um that confused oil with it that you what's a confused oil infused oh, oil. Infused. infused oil <laughs> I, was say, I wasn't quite sure <laughs> where it was coming from confusion, as well. <laughs> confusion of the labeling maybe <laughs> yeah so infused oil where you yeah. put it in oil let it sit and it flavors the oil nice um and but that goes wonderfully well with aubergines, with courgettes, yes. with uh, roasted pumpkins. Every, anything yeah. could benefit. Even lamb, roasted lamb. Every, anything yeah. benefits from a from a drizzle of that zaatar powder mixed mm -hmm. with uh, with olive oil. Brilliant. I'm definitely going to try making my own. That's for sure. You, I think, are credited uh, certainly for me with my love of aubergines because mm. I would never. I mean, I just grew up, aubergines were slimy and yuck. It's just not something to be enjoyed. They were probably boiled to death at school, you know, that kind of thing. What is the best way, your favourite way to cook an aubergine? So, um, I Do you have to salt I, them, first of all? Do you have to, to slice with, them and soak your, them and salt them? I sympathise with your school experiences. <laughs> <laughs> because a bad aubergine is a very bad aubergine. It's a very yeah, bad one. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just not something that you want to eat. But um, so, no, they, they, we used to salt them more because if the breeds that we get at the moment are not as bitter as, as they used to be. So historically, the old aubergines were quite salt, uh, bitter. Mm. So as you sprinkle them with salt before you cook them, the salt would draw out the moisture and with it some of the bitterness. This is not necessarily any, uh, necessary anymore. So if you're going to fry the aubergine, like thin cut it into thin slices and fry it i do tend to salt it a bit because that draws out the moisture and the less moisture the easier it is to fry so you don't okay. get the, you know it, it becomes crispier but my best my favorite way to cook aubergines I, I cook them in various ways but the easiest way for me and i think for the general public is to cut them into thick slices like rounds mm. about two to two to three centimeters thick so that's like over an inch so quite a bit really thicker thick, than you, yeah, quite yeah. a bit thicker than you, th thicker than you think. Mm. And then I brush them on both sides with quite a bit of olive oil. So they need to soak the oil and sprinkle with coarse sea salt, like mm. molten salt, mm -hmm. and put those uh, rounds of aubergines uh, soaked with oil and salted in the in a very hot oven at two hundred or two twenty wow. for a good half hour. And what happens is is that. If you have a lot of them in the tray, they kind of steam and roast at the same time. Mm. 
and they go really meaty. But it's really important not to undercook them. You need to let them really brown nicely. Okay. And it's really important to get get quite a lot of oil in there. So yeah. they need that oil. They need to drink that oil before you roast them mm. in such a way. Is olive oil the one oil that you use? Do you have others or do you tend to default to olive oil all the time? I, de I default yeah. on olive oil just because I yeah. think it's so good. And I, I don't deep fry with olive oil, obviously, but I shallow fry with olive oil. Mm. And I think it's it's just a wonderful thing. I mean, in certain dishes that I cook, Asian dishes, etc., where I feel that this flavor of the olive oil is just not the right flavor, then I would use a more neutral oil like sunflower oil. Mm. But um, but I th I th I feel that olive oil does the job for me in ninety five percent of the yeah. <laughs> of the cases. Yeah. That's what I use. I know you're a, a, a friend and a fan of Tim Spector, as yeah. am I. Yeah. In fact, I think we collaborated recently on some filming for that the COVID nineteen Zoe yes. app. Oh yes, we did. Uh, which was really good. Um, and of course, talking to him about olive oil and gut health. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. The yeah. extra virgin olive oil and the extra properties that they're just they're kind of discovering now. For, for for helping yeah, the from gut from all the fat from all the fats that you're gonna yeah. you're gonna consume olive oil is really the most the one that he really Tim really found that yeah. worthy of promoting because yeah it's just in the Mediterranean diet you know it's become a synonymous to healthy eating that's one of the one of the contribute contributors to to health mm. olive oil so mm. yeah I I'm very happy to use olive oil all yeah. the time yeah and I think it's the the polyphenols that are particularly helpful, you know, yeah. with the gut. When I last saw him, he had these little tiny sachets or little um, kind of vessels that he'd been given of this olive leaf extract. It was so bitter, um, but, you know, full of tannins. Every time you tasted it, you know, you kind of, it was like sucking a lemon, you know, yeah. it was really, really sharp. Um, but he said, you know, this is just one of the best things for the gut. But presumably, I know your new book is all about vegetables, but that is supremely healthy, isn't it, for the gut? You know, it's all about the, the insoluble fiber and all your prebiotics to, to feed your, your gut bacteria. Yeah. Is, do you think that vegetables need a bit more of a kind of starring role on our plates? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think <clears throat> vegetables, um, grains, legumes are really they they need i mean for various reasons i've never been a preacher i, I always think that people should eat what they love to eat that's the yeah. first priority because you cannot convince someone to eat some uh, something that's just strictly good for them unless they really enjoy it that's it's, there's just no way people will carry on eating undelicious food but uh but the thing is vegetables are totally delicious so yeah. It's a win-win situation. If you learn how to treat vegetables well, and in my new book, Flavor, uh, it's all about injecting vegetables with a lot of flavor. We, yeah. we have like flavor bombs, like these combinations of chili and ginger and garlic. Or, wow. I love that, or, flavor bombs. Yeah, <laughs> or, think or, about that. or soy sauce yeah. and mirin. And, you know, things that are really uh, intense. If you let the vegetables sit with those flavors yeah, and yeah. soak them and kind of benefit from them, then they, they are equally delicious if not more delicious than yeah. that bit of beautiful soul that you've done nothing to yeah for sure things like um cauliflower which is kind of a bit of a challenge again you know historically overboiled cauliflower is is not a favorite um but it will absorb 
so much, won't it, if you prep it in the right way? Absolutely. I mean, I've been cooking cauliflowers for a long time. So cauliflower, people wouldn't not, normally don't know that, but it's a staple in the Middle East in Arabic cooking. Yeah. So uh, when I was growing up, we would you would get like, um, you know, like the baba ganoush kind of salad with tahini, you know, so you have an equivalent with with cauliflower mm. or yeah, like deep fried cauliflowers in tahini sauce and some parsley on top. It's absolutely delicious. Gosh, it's uh, making us all very <laughs> hungry. <laughs> or I, what I've been doing for quite a while now and it's become familiar to some to some people is a whole roasted cauliflower head where you take a yes. cauliflower with the leaves open it up so the leaves are kind of pulled out and and put olive oil and butter on it mm. and lots of nice coarse sea salt and let it cook for a long time a good hour or so mm. and constantly baste it with the fat with the oil nice. and, the, and the butter and the live yeah. leaves are like crisp up and the and the and the cauliflower absorbs all these beautiful fats yeah. and you get something that you can only almost eat on its own you can serve that wedge of cauliflower with some uh, a squeeze of lemon or some creme fraiche or just something like that and it's just a humble cauliflower it's got there's nothing else there there's yeah. nothing there's no tricks transformed <laughs> totally yeah. yeah what are the other vegetables that you're particularly keen on that we perhaps aren't so familiar with over here Oh, well, I guess with vegetables, I will maybe kohlrabi. People are a little bit yes. scared with kohlrabi, which is um, it's a it's a kind of northern European vegetable. It's is it like a, a turnip? It's, it's a, is it like a, it's a kind of like a for me, it's like a cross between a radish and an apple. So it's like okay. sweet, <laughs> right? Uh, but it's got the crisp crunchiness and watery of radishes and makes a beautiful very thinly sliced for a salad but we also roast it in the book and mm. mix it up with um with um potatoes like potato uh, uh matchsticks and kohlrabi matchsticks together mixed together with a, a, a chili spice blend korean chili spice mix nice. and we make like a rosti uh mm. in a pan so yeah. all these matchstick pieces held together by this spice paste and then we throw some eggs on top so it becomes right. this kind of rusty with like, each one has got a fried egg on top and yeah. and it's just i mean there's so many so many yeah. daikon is another kind of asian so daikon radish it's is like a white carrot yeah it's is it like, a bit it's, like these a white are radish? A long longer yeah it's yeah. like a, it's like a very long carrot right um it's from the radish family and in Asian cooking, it's it's used a lot. We use a daikon to make uh, what we call a turnip cake, which is essentially it's called a turnip cake, but it uses a daikon because they're they're often confused. And mm. it's a staple of Chinese restaurants. If you go and have mm. your dim sum, yeah. you have these slices of turnip cake, which are uh, they've got like prawns and pork and the, and they're really really delicious served with right. soy sauce but we've got a vegetarian a vegan option ah. in the book we use chestnut mushrooms oh nice and, yeah. and, uh, and the shiitake mushrooms and chestnuts and sesame and it's a mm. it becomes into we call it a cake but it's these kind of thin slices looks like a terrine almost and you drizzle it with soy sauce mm. and it's really really delicious Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Talking about cakes, what about using um, vegetables in sweet things. I mean, here, you know, I guess in, in Britain, we're, we know things like carrot cake, mm. you know, where you physically grate carrot into cakes. I mean, are, yeah. are there other ways that you can use oh, vegetables for desserts? Absolutely. So um, in um, in my previous book, Simple, I've got the, the equivalent of a carrot cake, but using um, beetroot. And it's a kind of a, mm. it's a kind of a more of a savory. So it's a kind of a, it's a, it's a kind of a beetroot bread, but because of the high sugar content in sugar in yeah. the beet, it becomes quite sweet so it's uh, it's a wonderful and it's got some some uh, spices and some goat's cheese and when you cut through it it's kind of a it's kind of a, like a rich bread and it's absolutely delicious wow yeah it does sound yeah. wow and with, and you can do a carrot cake with turnips for instance like the okay. swap some of the carrots with turnips and you really also get another yeah layer because turnips are quite nutty so turnip turnips go well with walnuts so you, or, or with pecans so you can Come kind of swap the nuts and the, mm. and the vegetables and makes and the equivalent of a mm. carrot cake, but with um, with, with turnips, t- with parsnips. Excuse parsnips. me, parsnips. Okay, parsnips. well, parsnips not are so yeah, incredibly yeah. sweet, yeah, aren't they? I mean, almost too sweet. I have to say, I'm not, not a huge fan of parsnips. How how do you cook but the parsnips? Par- parsnips in a cake are just fantastic. Okay, like, they really like this. Really, the, the, okay, the equivalent of the you. carrot cakes with parsnips and pecans is just delicious parsnip and pecan okay yeah. okay i will i will try it talk to me about pomegranate molasses yeah why do i need it what am i going to do with it <laughs> um okay well po- pomegranate molasses is a pomegranate juice that's been reduced to a to a syrup it's it's dark and it's very sweet and it's very sharp because pomegranates are very acidic very mm. very sharp so it's a kind of a it's a kind of um imagine like a like a citrusy reduction. So you could use it, uh, I, the, the easiest way to is like, think of like classic desserts, okay? Like an Eaton Mess. So we, I often do like a, like a Middle Eastern version of an Eaton Mess when I take strawberries and meringue and I put, uh, add quite a lot of pomegranates and pomegranate molasses on top. 
and um, and a little bit of rose water. Oh, so heaven. the rose with the pomegranates and the strawberries, it's a really wonderful combination. Yes. And you really don't need to do anything more in, in order to transform your yeah. your eaten mess to something which is completely different yeah, from the different origin, yeah. but still absolutely delicious. Mm. So you can do that with cream or you can do that with vanilla ice cream. So all these things are really good. Maybe that's that's great for pomegranate molasses. But pomegranate molasses, because it's both sweet and sour, it can go both in the sweet direction and in the savory direction. So you can use it in a chicken or lamb marinade because chicken goes well with su sweet things. Mm. So you can take, um, you know, olive oil, garlic, pomegranate molasses and let your, your chicken... Um, sit in that for a little right. while before you roast it and then yeah. you can and you need something savory there like picked oregano leaves or sage leaves and stick that in the oven and it becomes all juicy and sweet and sticky by the time it comes out of Ugh. the oven this and you can serve that with roast potatoes and that's just really yeah. delicious so delicious <laughs> and rose is something else that actually i've discovered a lot more this year and i make a rose petal granola using yeah. dried rose petals yeah. and obviously rose petals and rose water is such a feature again isn't it in middle eastern cooking yes, totally so rose um again you can take it in the sweet direction but also there's savory can versions you? yeah uh you can for instance um i'm trying to think of a really good use of rose petals we we often use uh rose petals to finish off um pilavs you know like mm. elaborate middle eastern rice dishes uh, really benefit from that. So you can take you can uh, take like lamb mince and cook it off with onions and garlic and add your rice and kind of cook that slowly together. So it's kind of a lamb and um, a lamb pilav and then finish it off uh, with some pomegranate seeds and, and rose. Oh. And it's really, really because we know lamb yes. goes well to, well with sweet and sour things. You yes. Know, we, we take... And of course, pistachios. And pistachios, pistachios yeah, and, that and would rose. Be, that would be really good there as well. So you can finish your pilav with pistachio rose and pomegranate. It's yeah. absolutely fantastic. And pomegranate, you know, from a well-being perspective, we just know, again, so much about it now that it's full of antioxidants. You can buy pomegranate juice. You know, how much of this kind of nod towards well-being and wellness do you, do you take on? Do you think when you're cooking, I'm going to make this because it's extra good for me or do you just purely do it on the flavor i do it on the flavor i always have i think this subconscious thing that you know cooking with all these vegetables must be good must be <laughs> <laughs> because that's what we do all day long i've got a, a small test kitchen in camden in north london in which mm. we do all our experiments and just the other day we made this um we're talking about vegetables and cakes we made this a uh, uh, courgette bread so lots of uh, grated courgette with most of the moistures drawn out and then mixed uh, mixed together with um, some cheese and egg and, you know, but creating some quite a substantial bread out of it. Mm. And and I thought, like, I'd give that to my children. You know, that yeah. is just such a wonderful thing to do. Yeah. It's packed full of of uh, of courgette, of a vegetable that yeah. is absolutely good for them with all the fibers. There was some thyme there, some herbs and and I cut a slice and they absolutely love it. And it's like instead of a normal slice of bread, they've yes. got all these vegetables in their bread and they love bread because kids love bread. Yeah. So it's, it's a, no, a no-brainer. Yeah, so nutritious. Yeah. And thinking about, you know, using cream and things like that in, in desserts, do you get tempted to go down the route of using things like kefir? Does kefir feature at all in, in Middle Eastern cooking? Because I love it. I mean, yeah. I, I drink well, kefir every day. Yeah, so there is, it is, it does feature quite a bit. So we use uh, the equivalent like buttermilk or kefir we right. use that to tenderize 
meat quite often. Mm. It goes into sauces for salads and for roasted vegetables. And um, like, for instance, I had in my first vegetable cookbook plenty. I have uh, aubergines that are roasted and then I make like this buttermilk yogurt. So often I, re- I substitute the buttermilk with kefir so you can nice. add, mix kefir with yogurt, which are, you know, very similar. Yeah. And you get uh, and you get a really kind of hyper acidity from that. And that goes, because aubergines, when you cook them the way I described, they are quite fatty. So you, it's very nice to cut that with something sharp and slightly creamy. And that's why yogurt is always so good uh, or anything dairy uh, yeah. and acidic goes well with, with things like that, with, uh, with like roasted aubergines. Excellent. Oh, I'm glad I got your permission to chuck <laughs> some kefir into, in, into your recipes. <laughs> for somebody who is really stuck in a rut and they've you know just been cooking the same old things for years, you know, looking at some of your dishes might be a tiny bit scary because they mm. might think, you know, they're, they're quite complicated or there's a lot of different flavors and things going on. Mm. If you had to pick some highlights out of flavor, what would you suggest that, you know, people perhaps started with just to get a taste uh, of what's going on? Yeah. OK, so there is, for instance, um, I'm just trying to think I'm, um, a good start, I think, would be things like um, a hummus. Okay. So, you know, everybody know how good hummus is for you. Yeah. So that's and your chickpeas. Your chickpeas. And so, tahini. And tahini uh, and lemon juice. And I have two variations on hummus in this book. One of them has a whole, um, what we call, it sounds quite chefy, but actually it's a very th- easy thing to do, a confit garlic, which what happens, you take a whole garlic head and you just chop a bit of the top off. So to expose the, 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 the uh, cloves. Put a bit of olive oil there and then cover it in foil and stick it in the oven for a good 45 minutes. When it comes out, you can squeeze all that garlic out because it's been cooked, essentially. It doesn't feel so garlicky. Yeah. Uh, we add that to our hummus, which is obviously really, mm. really good for you. All those fresh chickpeas. But you can also use a good jarred chickpeas. It's not a problem. Yeah. Uh, they, um, th- that confit garlic, which is, like I said, an easy thing to make. And then there's two types of toppings we use. One of them is um, a, we take some olive oil and add some aromatics, ginger, garlic, chili and coriander. Mm-hmm. Just heat that up slowly just to infuse the oil bit with these flavors, but also to crispen, up, crispen them up so you get a bit of texture and you spoon that on top of your hummus. Mm. And everybody likes a hummus and it's like yeah. super healthy. Yeah. And you make your own in in, ma- in a matter of minutes. Yeah, in this so much way. easier and cheaper, isn't it, to make yeah. your own? And I think I think I think it's just so much better because the thing is, mm. when you buy it in a supermarket, it's it's cold, and I, the cold things are just never as good as room temperature things. And it's got it's got a lot of added uh, acidity, citric acid, normally to give it a long shelf life. Right. And so it's just too sharp for me. It's just too sharp and salty. All these things that are added to to hummus that's supermarket made or make yeah. it give it a longer shelf life but really take away from the natural flavor of the chickpeas mm. and the tahini and all the rest mm. so making your own is is really a great way to start uh we have a, the equivalent with uh white bean mash something quite similar um i'm thinking about the, oh we talked mm. about um co- cooking a whole cauliflower I've yes got, i love that idea yeah i've got whole so three recipes that use cooking a whole celeriac Celeriac. Oh, really? Yeah, I love celeriac. Yeah. Tell me, what celeriac can I do with celeriac? Celeriac is just an incredible thing because, again, like a cauliflower, you can take it, you can stick it in the oven for three hours. Wow. I Almost never as it is, just with a bit of yeah. oil and salt. And when it comes out, you can cut it into wonderful wedges, which you could, if you wanted, eat, like we said, with a squeeze of lemon. 
but we have I have so three derivatives of that celeriac that comes out of the oven. Three different recipes that use that use that celeriac. Um, one of them is this with a sweet sweet chili sauce. So you cut this mm. celeriac, the cooked celeriac into into uh, big dice or wedges, whatever you want, and you make a quick uh, sweet chili sauce with chili, with soy, with some mirin, like very basic ingredients. Uh, you s chop some chilies up and some spring onion, coriander, and you make a beautiful platter of cooked mm. uh, celeriac with a like a, a spicy, sweet, sour flavor. The other one is the recipe that I really love from the book. It's it's got celeriac turned into kind of almost like a meat giving in a, a meaty context mm. um, with uh, what we what is called a cafe de Paris sauce, which is normally what is that? What's cafe de it's Paris? It's a bit like what you when you get in in French bistros with your steak. Uh, so it's got tarragon and capers and cream. Ah, okay. It's that kind of but we we uh, make the equivalent to serve with our steak. So it's like a whole big thick celeriac that's been cooked for a long time became really beautifully brown and flavorsome and we make that sauce it's got a tiny bit of curry powder onions mm. garlic butter and then we finish off with some cream and uh, fresh tarragon Gosh. it's so delicious <laughs> oh it really really is and talk us through um before we finish about your expanding empire because you came when you started in London, what was the first place you were in Notting Hill? Is that right? Yeah. Was your first deli? Yeah, in 2002, 18 years ago, oh I opened gosh. a deli in Notting Hill yeah. on Ledbury Road. That's the yeah. first Ottolenghi. And uh, that's where everything started. And after that, um, we opened a restaurant on Upper Street in Islington, which mm. does that and sit down. Um, I've got two West End restaurants, Rovi and Nopi. Mm -hmm. uh, one restaurant in Spitalfields uh, in Ottolenghi. Uh, so, and one small deli in, in uh, Belgravia. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. And yeah. how have you been affected, obviously, by lockdown and presumably everything obviously shut completely? Yeah, and everything what, shut looking completely. Like now? So we've reopened three of our locations mm. at Rovi, the, in Fitzrovia. That's a restaurant where we cook vegetables on the grill. Uh, and not only vegetables, but it's a very vegetable-focused restaurant. Nice. And we opened the, our restaurant on Upper Street in Notting Hill. So three out of the six are open. And the other three are, we're uh, looking to open in September when it's a little bit busier. Because yeah. central London is still very, very quiet. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's it has a, it had a, a really terrible impact on us. Of because course. Because like everybody else, we've had to shut and furlough everybody and it's yeah. and it hasn't been easy but since we've started reopening towards the end of may that things are slightly and slowly getting back yeah. to normal so we'll just yeah. hope that carries on and for the future or is it too hard to predict now because of what's happening what are your plans um, for the year ahead yeah i mean i've got I've, i'm always working on cookbooks mm -hmm. <laughs> because Good. I, I love i like making them so there's mm. always things coming from that department and uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we want to bring our restaurants back to life, which will take quite a while. Mm. Uh, and after that, pro probably more. But it's just it's just uh, that COVID has been such a big thing yeah. that now all the energy and all the focus is on on getting all that yeah. back back in place. But I think maybe one of the admittedly very few benefits to have come out of it is perhaps a renewed focus on the quality of the food that we're eating and how it sustains us and nourishes us. Yeah, I think people have really during the during lockdown and now post lockdown are really, really interested in, in food in yeah. general. 
Yeah. And what what they're eating, what the origin of the ingredients are, how yeah. they're using them, and and this is not. I don't think that is going away. No. I think that's definitely staying. Fantastic. Well, so much inspiration in flavour. <laughs> so thank you very much, Jotam. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And I'm afraid that that is all we have time for today. Now, you can find all the links and the resources mentioned in today's show over on LizOurWellbeing.com, where you can also sign up to my free weekly newsletter. And this comes to you packed with delicious veg-centric recipes and gut-friendly treats, including kefir. Huge thanks to all of those who have left us such lovely reviews. You know, it really does help others to find the show. So until the next time, go well. Bye-bye. Our Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earle, with production by Amaryllis Earle and Harry Trevithick at Heart Dialogue. With thanks to my producer, Ellie Smith, and guest booker, Millie de la Morinière. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.